0: Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. Jesus sends out the 12 apostles, and I'll bet you they didn't have instructions, um, at least when they started. Right. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey, except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear their sandals and to put on and healed them. I think it's 30. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Jared.
1: Morning, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, It's great this morning. I don't have to make any jokes in my sermon uh, because (laughs) Dad's already made a whole bunch. (laughs) Um, It's great to get to preach the word to you this morning. Uh, Please join me as we pray father in heaven we praise you we thank you we exalt you please open our ears to hear what you are saying to us this morning in your word speak to us by your spirit and conform us to the image of your son the lord jesus christ and it's in his precious name we pray amen my name is jared and um, i'm the pastor here at hwc lovely to have you with us this morning and um, it's, it's a real privilege to get to continue looking at who Jesus is from the gospel of Mark. So we've been following Jesus's journeys in Mark. Uh, and last week we saw the people of his hometown, Nazareth, reject Jesus. And then we saw Jesus move on elsewhere to go and tell other people about him. And this week we see Jesus send out the 12. Have you ever been sent out to do a task? Uh, maybe you were given particular authority to do that task. Uh, maybe you took the role very seriously. I remember being sent as a child with a letter out of my classroom to go and take that to the office and hand it to the uh, to the the teachers in the office. And I felt like this was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> I got to leave class. I got to take the letter. I I, I was I was allowed to be there. Um, and uh, yeah, walked out of class, went along with the letter, handed it in. Um, And it felt like a massive responsibility, like my life depended upon it. It didn't, but that's what it felt like. Well, today we see Jesus send out the 12. And just like with Jesus' own mission of proclaiming the news of salvation in him, lives are dependent upon this message going out. And this is a sending out not by the teacher of my school, um, but by the king of the whole world. And it's and the it's sending out of the 12 disciples or apostles that Jesus had called to himself. In this passage, we're told that Jesus called them, he sent them, and he charged them. We're also told that he gave them authority and that he taught them. And we aren't the 12 apostles ourselves. So we can't expect that all of this directly applies to us. But we can learn lots from how they listened to Jesus and preached the same message He preached and uh, we too must listen to Jesus and follow his call of where he sent us, uh, making disciples of all nations. So Mark highlights how all of this begins with Jesus. Jesus called them. Jesus sent them. Jesus gave them authority. Jesus charged them to not take lots of supplies. And he told them to stay where they go first and to shake the dust off their feet at the places that reject them. And we see the disciples listen to Jesus and do as he says, proclaiming a message of repentance, that's turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus. We see them casting out demons and healing the sick. So what parts of this do relate to us? If if not all of it does, but some of it does, what parts do? Well, it relates to us differently, depending upon whether we know Jesus or, or not. Um, maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're here to find out more about him. Uh, firstly, I'm so glad you're here. It's wonderful to have you with us. And I hope that this morning, as we look at the Lord Jesus, you see his love, his character, his kindness, and, uh, and see how amazing he is. For you, in your situation, you're more like the disciples at the beginning of the book, where Jesus called them to follow him. And uh, they, they then spent time with Jesus, learning from him, getting to know him, trusting him as saviour. So if that's you not yet knowing Jesus, then, then why not do what the disciples did? Get to know him. Get to know Jesus. And the best way to do that is by opening the Bible and reading about him. Have a read of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Or better yet, read all four. Get to know Jesus. Find out who he is. And uh, see uh, see if he really is the king of the world as he claims to be. And I trust that you will find that he is. Meet Jesus. Get to know him. And come to him and trust him as your saviour and king. Of particular help for you, will be hearing more about the message that the disciples preached, which was the message that Jesus preached, which is the message that we preach, uh, and, and of that turning and trusting in Jesus for salvation. And that'll come up again in, in, this, in this sermon as we, as we move along. So listen in for that a bit later. Perhaps you are a believer in Jesus. Uh, you know him and you want to know how this relates to you uh, today, since you aren't one of the 12 apostles or well, hopefully you're not claiming to be one of the Twelve Apostles. Um, and if, if, that's, if that's you, you're thinking, I want to know how this relates to me. It's a great thing to be thinking, and it's a great thing to be thinking, what does it mean uh, for them then, and then what does it mean for us in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ? So fortunately, we have clearly recorded for us in the Scriptures at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' call for us, where he sends out all of his disciples while also promising to be with us for eternity. So I'm going to read to you from the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. So there, Jesus commanded his initial disciples to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, and so on. Each set of disciples was commanded to make more disciples, and to go into the world doing so. Going, baptizing, teaching going all over to the ends of the earth, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded them. All that Jesus has commanded, which includes this very command to make disciples. And all of this is done in the knowledge that Jesus is with us always. So Jesus' disciples are to make more disciples, who in turn make more disciples, and so on, knowing that Jesus is with us. He doesn't say that all of the disciples are given the same authority over the unclean spirits or the power to heal. But he does say that we are to observe all that he commanded. It's understandable that that may look different in today's day and age, 21st century, uh, what are we now, 2022, High Wycombe. Uh, Not many of us would carry a staff when we're out evangelizing, for example. But nevertheless, there are clear principles for us to learn from what Jesus teaches his disciples here. Jesus is the one who does the calling. He's called them, he sent them, he charged them, he taught them, he equipped them. And we find comfort in the knowledge that he's with us as we do this. We are accompanying, accompanying him, that's a difficult word to say. <laughs> it's easy to write. This is accompanying him on his mission to save the world. Jesus invites us to join him on this mission of making disciples who make disciples. And it rests on who? It rests on him. It rests on his work of calling, sending, charging, teaching and equipping and not on us. That doesn't mean that we do nothing, but rather we follow Jesus' call, knowing that we go not in our power, but in his. We're going to work our way through the passage and look at some of the key things that Jesus has called and sent and taught the disciples. So called, Jesus called the twelve. As we've seen, look who's doing the calling. It's Jesus. The disciples who were picked out by Jesus, called in that first sense, follow me, way back in chapter one, are now being called by Jesus for a specific task, a specific mission that he's giving them. Sent, Jesus began to send them out two by two. Jesus sent these 12 out to continue his mission. I've got a bit of an old school quote from Matthew Henry. So bear with the different sort of language, but uh, it's really good. So he says this, hitherto, that's up till now, they had, they, the disciples, had been conversant with Christ and had sat at his feet, had heard his doctrine and seen his miracles. And now he determines to make some use of them. They had received that they might give, had learned that they might teach. And therefore now he began to send them forth. They must not always be studying in the academy to get knowledge, but they must preach in the country to do good with the knowledge they have got. You see that Jesus had taught them for a time. They'd been spending a long time with Jesus, learning from him, growing in him, and were now being sent out to carry his mission on in the reaching of the world. And he sent them out, do you notice there, he sent them out two by two. Why, why in twos? Well, there's a few different reasons, but one is the testimony of two witnesses is reliable. Just one witness is suspect, uh, but two is reliable. Two fellow believers in Jesus can encourage one another when the road is tough. Rejoice together when the people turn and trust in Jesus, the Savior and King. Hold one another accountable and share fellowship together as brothers in the Lord. So there's this principle that witnessing to Jesus is best done in at least pairs. Uh, The testimony of two people was necessary in the Old Testament. And it's a helpful principle for us as we evangelize with others. It allows us to testify to the work of God in the other person's life and is a good witness to the outside world. Evangelism is something we must do together as God's people. But that's not to say that you shouldn't evangelize alone. So obviously, take every opportunity that you get to tell people about Jesus. Every chance you get to tell people about Jesus, take that opportunity. But it does help us when we think about how we can best evangelize. If we think about how can we get out into this area and reach the people of High Wycombe. Take someone along with you from church. Go and talk to people about Jesus. It helps to show that this isn't just some crazy person speaking to them. But two people who were both testifying to the truth of the Lord Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and how he saved them. And that testimony is powerful. And that's how Jesus sent out the 12, and it remains a helpful principle for us today. And so a good question for us to ask ourselves is, am I currently going out to tell people about Jesus? Uh, Is there someone here from church that I can go with, that um, we we can join together? We want to reach this area with the message of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Many of the people out there in in the area are not just going to come in. Uh, Jesus has sent us out to go and reach uh, the nations. And so we want to go out there and reach them. So let's do that together. And we can do that with great strength as we unite together, doing that, knowing that we do that not in our power, but in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's with us to the very end of the age. One of the other things that we read here is that jesus gave them authority over the unclean spirits jesus gave the 12 see that it says them authority over the unclean spirits he gave them power to cast out some but not all unclean spirits later in mark uh, when the disciples are confronted with a particular uh, demon-possessed person they can't cast the demon out Um, and they ask jesus "Why, why can't we do that um, we'll explain that in more detail when we get there. But Jesus has unparalleled power over the spiritual realm. The disciples don't have that power. Jesus' amazing power is such that he can give power to his disciples to cast out demons. But they still don't have the same full control over the spiritual realm that Jesus has. We can't conclude that this power has just been given to us because just because it was given to them. And having said that, Jesus has all power over the spiritual realm. So if if we ever are confronted with an evil spirit, the best thing that we can do is to ask the one with all power over the spiritual realm to cast it out. That one is Jesus. And we can ask him in his name, which is the name above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, and sandals. Uh, I've mentioned before that I like country music, so please don't hate me for that. Um, but there's a country song called No Shoes, No Shirt, No Problems. Um, it's not quite like that, <laughs> but it sounds a bit like that. Um, <laughs> Jesus tells them to take nothing except shoes, a shirt, and a staff. So instead of no shoes, no shirt, no problems, it's more like two shoes, one shirt, one staff, and one wild ride. <laughs> it's interesting how often people see the authority over unclean spirits as directly applicable today but the idea of just taking the clothes on our backs the sandals on our feet and the staff in our hands that's definitely not applicable today is it we need to be consistent in how we read the Bible don't we Uh, all of this needs to be read in its context understood what it meant for the people then and then understood now in, in light of the Lord Jesus for us today there's a clear principle that undergirds this. Don't take more than what you need, more than what is necessary. And it's a helpful reminder to trust God for his provision and not in ourselves. To so not, not be greedy, but to be grateful to God for providing. Jesus is not a means to an end. Uh, Jesus is not your ticket to financial success. Uh, the way of the Lord Jesus is not about fame, fortune, wealth, and worldly gain. It's about salvation for sinners, rescue for rebels. We must never use Jesus for selfish gain. Uh, The 12 who were doing the miraculous must not be greedy and must be reliant upon God in everything. And the same is true for us today. Greed has no place in Jesus' kingdom. Sacrificial service of others does. Said, Jesus said to them, notice that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Uh, he gives them direction and guidance as to what is to happen. Let's have a look at what he says. First one, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. The first place they went was to be the place that they stayed. Uh, the disciples weren't to be on the lookout for the best material things or the best house. Check it out. Well, this one has a pool. This one has the, lets the sun in really nicely. This one's got a great view. No, that's not what the mission of Jesus is about. Forget fame and fortune. This is about salvation for sinners. Staying at uh, the first place was a witness that the disciples weren't living for this world. They were living for the next life, the life to come. And, and this is a challenge to us too, isn't it? Are we always seeking the next best thing? Uh, the next best house, next best car, the next best toy, gadget, thrill... The list goes on and on and on. Uh, because that's, that's to be seeking treasure in this life rather than in the one to come. I notice that tendency in my own heart. And that's something we need to confess to God and repent of. We need to live in light of the reality that we aren't destined to live in this life forever, but in the new creation. It's worthless and even worth, worse than worthless. It's damaging for us to live like this is the place we're staying forever, like this life is all there is, storing up material possessions. We must store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Jesus says these words, and if any place will not receive you and will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Much like when Jesus was rejected at Nazareth, there will be places where the 12 face rejection, where they will not be received and they will not be listened to, just like Jesus was not received and not listened to. And what's the command then? Is it to hang around indefinitely and keep reasoning with them? Is it to grow in ability to argue well to convince these people to join them on the way? To twist their arms until there are converts? No to shake the dust off from your feet as a testimony against them. Now, with our modern sensibilities, we can often recoil at that idea, can't we? Um, shake the dust off your feet? Well, that's, that doesn't sound good to begin with. And then uh, that's a that's, that's clear sign of rejection, of moving on, a sign of judgment. Surely that can't be good. And then just in case they or we were in any doubt, Jesus says that it's a t- as a testimony against them. It's a witness to the people's unfaithfulness that signifies their rejection of Jesus and then his rejection of them. And while we may not fully understand or grasp it, the reality is that there does come a time when moving on is necessary. As difficult as this is for us to hear, there does come a time when people reject the gospel, they reject Jesus, and we're to move on to share the gospel with others who will respond more positively. Uh, just as Jesus did in moving on from Nazareth, he commanded the 12, and, and this re- the remains instructive for us. Moving on. Uh, there are going to be people who reject Jesus. Uh, there are also going to be people who reject Jesus for a time, but then the seed that you planted or watered is given growth by God many years or even decades later. The point is, though, that just as there came a time for Jesus to move on and for the 12 to move on, there comes a time for us to move on as well. And I want to give you an illustration from my own life. I, I met up with a uni friend uh, for a number of years to read the Bible with him. Uh, we became close friends. Uh, he, he, he didn't believe in Jesus, and to my knowledge, he still doesn't. Um, the after we read the Bible for a few years, we, we, we'd, we'd worked our way through, uh, I think it was Matthew or Mark, Luke and John. Um, we were in John at the time. We'd been reading the Bible for a few years. We were close friends. Um, he finally started to see that the message of Jesus saving sinners made sense. Uh, th- he's a very logical guy. And he said to me, yeah, you know, the gospel, in his own words, held water. Which, which meant that he believed it to be logically sound. Pretty soon after that, he became more and more difficult to get hold of. Uh, after years of being close friends, he'd he, he shut me out of his life. And I believe that's because he saw that the gospel was true and that he he knew that there were consequences if he if he were to, to respond in faith to Jesus. In this situation... Uh, God made it clear to me that that I wasn't going to be able to to minister to him anymore. He shut me out of his life. Um, And it won't always be this clear, though. There there will come a time where we've we've been sharing the gospel with people and they've turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to Jesus. And then it's time for us to move on to tell other people. And that's a devastating reality. Uh, It's not like we're gleefully shaking the dust off our feet we're devastated at the reality that people are out there rejecting Jesus. We want them to come to know him. But we also know that there are other people out there who will respond positively to the message of Jesus. And so we need to go and tell them too. With my friend, my hope and prayer is that God does a miracle in his life, that he brings him to repentance and saving faith in Jesus. But I'm no longer going to be chasing him up. I tried a few weeks ago. I've been trying for years. But I've got to move on. There, there are other people out there who need to hear about Jesus. And I know that in his present state, he'll turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to Jesus. It feels difficult to move on. It's heartbreaking. And that's because we have a gospel concern. I want him to be saved. I want him to know Jesus. But there's genuine comfort in knowing that God has all of this in his hands. And if it is his will to save my friend, then he will save him. Even if that's without me being there sharing the gospel with him. Uh, For some people, they may see that in rejecting Jesus, they find themselves rejected by Jesus. And then they may want to get right with him. And we'll pray to that end. Maybe you have stories like that too. Maybe you've got people in your life who you told about Jesus and they don't want to hear. Obviously, we keep praying. We trust God. He's got it in his hands. But there does come a time where we move on to tell others. Went out and proclaimed. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. You notice that the 12 listened to Jesus. They follow his example. They went out to different places and they preached the same message that Jesus preached salvation in Jesus. There's a clear principle here, we must listen to Jesus. Just like the disciples listened to him and obeyed him, we too are called to listen to Jesus and obey him. Not to work our ways of being right with him, but out of thankfulness that he's made us right with him. The message they preached is the same one that Jesus preached and the same one that we must preach. And this is the message that we all desperately need to hear. Uh, whether you've never before put your trust in Jesus or if you've been trusting him your whole life, as long as you can remember, this message we all need. It's, this is the message we refer to as the gospel, the massive news of salvation in Jesus. It's, it's not a popular message. It's, it's summarized here as proclaiming that people should repent. That is to turn away from sin and to turn to Jesus. To have a radical change of mind and heart that corresponds with God's Holy Spirit turning our lives around. Proclaiming repentance requires that we tell people the problem, our sin, which our pride doesn't like, and the solution, which is found only in Jesus the Savior, again, whom our pride doesn't like. The fact that we have a problem and the fact that we need someone to save us are things that offend our pride. I was speaking to a guy a couple of weeks ago who said that he f- he, if he could do one thing to Christianity to make it better, to make, to make it more palatable in his mind, he had one change that he'd make, one thing he'd remove, one thing he'd get us to stop talking about. Any ideas what that would be? Yep, <laughs> Wade said sin and that's exactly what he said. Uh, He said that the idea that people are innately sinful, he just loathed. You could see it on his face. It just made his blood boil. Uh, He he was saying that if we could just get rid of that, Christianity would be so much better. (laughs) The idea that people are rebels against God, he hated. This guy wanted us to stop talking about sin and about rebellion against God. But notice here that that's never on the cards. And Christianity would make no sense if we didn't understand our sin. Because if we weren't sinful, then Jesus died for no reason. If we hadn't wronged God and weren't deserving of his judgment, then why did Jesus die? It would have been for nothing. It would have been in vain. What kind of example would that have been? Getting killed for no reason, coming to be murdered and achieving nothing. That's not worthwhile that's ridiculous, that would mean Jesus died for nothing. Without understanding our sin, we'll never understand the savior Jesus. And to deny sin is to deny what we know to be true in the depths of our hearts. We may not like the idea that people are sinful, uh, that we're sinful, but in reality, that's because it's true and the truth hurts but it doesn't make it any less true. Uh, There's no hope found in denying our problem, burying our heads in the sand. There's no hope found in the ways of the world or the worldviews or religions the world offers up to us. The only hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance and faith in him, turning and trusting him just as Jesus preached, just as the 12 preached and just as we preach. We're broken people. We naturally live lives in opposition to God that are deserving of his judgment in hell for eternity. He's just, and he won't let us get away with rebelling against him and harming one another. And so there's a problem, isn't there? Our relationship with God is broken and that needs to be restored. We desperately need to be reconciled to God. And that's only possible because Jesus the savior came to rescue us. And the message we all need to hear is turn away from rebellion against God and trust Jesus as savior, submit to him as Lord and King. Are you repenting of your sin? Are you turning away from the things that you know would keep you away from Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? Or maybe are are you trying to water down the message of Jesus? Do we like the idea of Jesus, but not so much the idea of telling people to repent? No doubt that's a difficult thing to do. But people need to know they need saving before they can turn and trust in Jesus, the Savior. Do we have the courage to say to a dying world, repent? Jesus did. The disciples by the Holy Spirit did, and we by the Spirit can too. Cast out demons and healed the sick. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And as they went and preached the message, it was accompanied by signs and wonders, casting out demons and healing many who were sick. And notice that this points to Jesus' power, Jesus has the ultimate authority he passes on that ability to his disciples. We aren't given the same powers the 12 were given to do signs and wonders, but we have these truths authoritatively recorded for us in the scriptures. And we have the ultimate accreditation given to the message we preach. The Lord Jesus Christ, he died, and then he rose again, never to die again. If anyone is worth listening to, In the history of the entire world, it's Jesus. He rose himself from the dead. He said, I lay down my life of my own accord. I take it up again of my own accord. If anyone's worth listening to, it's Jesus. And we preach the same message that Jesus preached. Turn and trust in him as your savior and king. We need to hear and heed that message for ourselves. And our world needs to hear and heed that message As well, So come to Jesus today, put your trust in him, turn from sin, trust in the Savior Jesus who died on that cross to save us, to rescue us. And if you do that for the first time today, then come and talk to me. I would love to chat to you more about Jesus. He, as Ella said earlier, we're all about Jesus. He's awesome. He's our King. He's the Savior of the world. And I want to encourage you. come to terms with him today uh, while there's still time please join me as we pray father in heaven we praise you and thank you for sending your son the lord jesus christ to come to this world to save sinners we thank you lord jesus that we have the message that you preach the message of turning and trusting in you as savior lord grant us faithfulness to preach that message grant us wisdom to know where to preach that message and how to preach that message by your Holy spirit, enable us to speak boldly proclaiming the message of repentance to a dying world. That's living in rebellion against you. Lord, give us compassionate hearts that want to see people saved and Lord build us up in your faith and grace. And we pray that for any of those who don't yet know you, that you would cause them to come to you in confession, and in repentance and in trust in you, Jesus. For you are our only hope, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.